Okay, brilliant. If you've got a Bible, turn to Galatians 3, please. And we're going to read from verse 23. Uh, but if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, because it's on the screen, just here. And I'm just going to jump straight in. Um, and we're going to read through from verse 23 to verse 7 of chapter 4. So, this is what Paul writes. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by their father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the, time set, when the set time had to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls I Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to come before you as we look at your word. We just want to ask you for your, just the spirit of revelation to be breathed into our hearts that we might know you better that we might see you better. We ask you to come and invade this time as we look at your word. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so obviously we're going through Galatians. Uh, the background to the book, just as a reminder, is that Galatians are Gentiles who have become Christians. Uh, Paul helped plant this church or plant these churches. But since he has kind of gone off and gone off to do some other planting of churches, some what they call Judaizers, some Jewish Christians have turned up and basically said, hey, look, really, for you to be a full-on Christian, for you to be fully accepted, you now need to adopt some Jewish practices. You need to go back and you need to add in some additional things to your faith. So faith is good, it's a good start, but it's not sufficient. There's some other things you need to add in. And the question it raises, amongst lots of other questions, is, well, what's the, qu- what's the point of the law? The Galatians keep kind of challenged around, well, what, what are we doing with the law? What's the, what's the place of the law now? Do we live by the law? Do we just ignore the law? How do we operate with the law? Because the law is a big deal in the Old Testament given to Moses, to the, for the people of Israel. So do we ignore that now, or do we focus on that now? Do we live under it, or do we not? What do we do with it? And Paul if you were here last time when we spoke about this two weeks ago, Paul spends a long time explaining the role of the law. And he likens it, as we saw in the first part of this passage we just read, to the role of a guardian or like a babysitter or a childminder. The law was given to us for a certain season until we were mature enough not to need it. He says to Israel, the law was given to you for a season, but then you no longer need it. And he says a few things about the law, which we mentioned last time. The law is good, 
The law basically maps out God's standard, although God raises the standard in terms of when Jesus comes and says, actually, it's not just about not murdering. It's not think it's actually about not holding hatred in your heart. He raises the bar in the New, in the New Testament on the New Covenant. The law was temporarily in charge of Israel for a season. So basically, the argument is it's a bit weird, isn't it? If you have if you're if you're a parent here and you leave your kids with a babysitter or a childminder and they're in charge, but you come back in the house and the childminder carries on being involved in charge. Now, if you're a parent, you might think that sounds really nice to me, actually. But actually, that's a weird dynamic, isn't it? Because the parents are back in the room. The childminder was in charge temporarily. The law was in charge temporarily. The law was given to lead us to Christ, both by, by two, effectively by two things, by showing us not only what God's standards are, but also by showing us that we're basically incapable of matching them. So the law shows us what God's standards are, but also reveals the fact that we can't live up to them. So the law was given to us to lead us to Christ, to show us here are the standards, and by the way, you can't live up to them. The law actually provokes sinfulness in us. And I, I told you last time when we went to Oxford, I remember seeing on the, you know, this sign saying, do not, do not walk on the grass, and immediately in my heart, I want to walk on the grass. You know, so if I said, you know, in the middle of church, everybody, no coffee, no hot drinks, okay? Not only would Bill not make it through church, I think, but also inside of us instantly would go, I really want a coffee. I'm going to find any way I can to find my way around it. Because actually the rules reveal that in our hearts, we're rebels. We want to break the rules. In fact, the law does for us something very helpful. The law reveals who we really are. So right at the heart of the human problem is the problem of pride. Pride is at the root of a lot of our sin. We sin because we want to be in charge. We want to decide for ourselves what the standards are. Adam and Eve decide to reject God's sovereignty and go, actually, we want to be God. Actually, we will eat from that tree after all. We'll decide what's good for us, what isn't. We'll decide where the boundaries are, where they're not. That's what humankind wants to do because we are not happy to sit under another king. It's revealing pride in us. But also, pride is at the root of our issue in terms of coming back to God. Because it's very, when you come back to God, you have to admit your need. Yeah? You have to admit your need of a saviour. And admitting that you need saving is humbling. And pride doesn't want to admit that I need saving. We want to save ourselves. But the law shows us we cannot save ourselves because I can't live up to it. So the law is very helpful. It's like a brutally honest mirror yeah i don't know if you never stand in front of those mirrors there's occasionally you meet you see a mirror which is like generous you know what i mean by those mirrors yeah, yeah just occasionally okay <laughs> but, you know the, the, the lighting is pretty good the angles work okay you know it's like oh okay yeah it's okay yeah i don't look as old as i thought i did and then it, then more often than not particularly when you get to my age you, you you stand in front of a mirror and it's like that is brutally honest as a mirror okay that is just far too honest Okay, it is completely revealing of all your imperfections. Well, the law is a brutally honest mirror. Okay, it's given in part to reveal to us who we really are. Okay, that we are, we cannot live up to God's standards. We are absolutely in need of a saviour because we can't make it on our own. And the, the law was really very, very good at showing us where we were. But the law is not very good showing us who we are now okay so if you keep going back to the law the law will keep trying to tell you who you were 
That's where you, it's like an old photograph. If you're a Christian, it'll keep trying to point you back. That's where you were. That's who you were. And it's true, brutally honest. But Paul is trying to tell us in this passage, that is not where you are now. If you're a believer, you're not under the law anymore. And what the law told you, which was true, is no longer who you really are. Okay, and this is a very important shift. Knowing who you are is extraordinarily important when it comes out to living out your faith in Jesus. And there's a few phrases that he uses in this passage which speaks of who we are now. And it's so important we understand who we are, not, what, not, not just what has happened. Okay, two phrases in particular I want to draw to our attention. The first one is this in verse 24. Paul says, you have been justified by faith. Okay? You have been justified by faith. Now, for some of you, this is a very familiar phrase. It's a legal term. You were once guilty, once accountable for all the wrongful things you have done and thoughts, all the ways you've fallen short of God's standards. That was, if you like, all those things were against you. They were counted against you. You were accountable for them. You were legally responsible for all those things you've accumulated. But Paul says now, through faith, one of the things faith has done because faith in Jesus has made you are justified. In other words, that debt, those things you accumulated which were against you have now all been dealt with. You are, in other words, justified. You are free. It's like, can I borrow a bag? Can I borrow that bag? So it's like you spend your life picking up bags. Right? I'm just going to distribute bags. Okay, and through your life, you pick up this stuff. <coughs> I will bring them back to you. And um, you just pick up stuff, right? And it's all against you. It stands against you. You're accountable for it. This is all your stuff you picked up. And Paul is saying, at the cross, it's like the bags go down because they get purchased by somebody else, paid for by somebody else completely. They don't belong to you anymore. So it's not appropriate to keep picking up the bag and go, here's all my stuff that I... No, 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 because the bag doesn't belong to you anymore. Paul's saying, through faith in Jesus, that stuff is all gone because it doesn't belong to you anymore. But no, no, but I did... I did yeah, I know you did all that stuff, but it doesn't, it's, not, it's not yours. Like, we sold a bunch of stuff at King's Day. <laughs> well, Sarah sold a bunch of stuff at King's Day. It used to, it's all gone. I don't even know whose homes it's in. Some bloke came and took an entire bag of DVDs. Where did they go? I don't know. It's not ours anymore. It's gone. It's not in our house, it's not in our possession, I can't, I, it's gone. And this stuff that you carried around and you accumulated, it's all gone. And Paul is saying, it's not, it's not appropriate to keep going back and, uh, I just want to pick it back up because you just need to know how rubbish I was. Yeah, we, I know, you were rubbish, but it's, it's all gone. None of the stuff you did that you were accountable for. All the rebellion that was in your heart that was rightly accounted against you has been dealt with by another. He's paid for it. He bought it from you. So it doesn't belong to you anymore. So you can't go back and pick it up. I can't go back and get the DVDs. <laughs> I can't go back and get the stuff that just because it's just gone. Okay. Psalm, Psalm, is it? Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he's taken your DVDs from you. Okay, they've all been removed, okay? They've gone. Now I can't remember where I've got the bags from. 
Okay? They don't belong to you anymore. So Paul is saying, listen, this is what's one of the things that's happened is you've been justified, it's gone. It's been removed. It doesn't belong to you. The problem is we often stop there. We say, oh, that's good. That stuff's gone. It's been taken away. But it doesn't stop there because any of this says this, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So the great wonder Paul is trying to establish is not simply that through faith, if you like, with forgiveness has come, redemption has come, things are being paid for and taken away. But also through faith as well, both and, you've now been brought into a family. Through faith, forgiveness, there's been liberation, if you like, out of all that stuff. But also through faith, now there is an inheritance. Okay, something has been transferred from us, in other words, Tim Keller talks about. But now, Paul is saying, I want you to understand, something has been transferred to you. Don't just live in the, something's been transferred from me, zone. As good as that is. Actually, what he's saying is, no, 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 you need to understand, that's only half the job. The other half of the job is, something has been transferred to you, because through faith, you're now, he says, all children of God. Faith in Jesus, in other words, is far more than just forgiveness. As wonderful as that is. Faith in Jesus now means that you are positioned in an entirely new family with an entirely new position. A new identity. You were like slaves, but you're not just liberated slaves. Actually, you are now adopted heirs. So don't live in the world of, I'm just a liberated slave. No, no, you're not just a liberated. You are now an adopted heir. It's, comp- it's way further than that. And if you trace through the end of Galatians 3 and the start of Galatians 4, you'll see that Paul starts to use slightly different language. So the language he's used so far is, you are a child under a childminder. Now he starts to use the language of slavery. He shifts in chapter 4 and the end of chapter 3. He starts to use the language of slavery. Now if you're from Israel... If you're part of the people of Israel and you use the language of slavery, what is he referring back to? What triggers in your mind immediately? Egypt. So he's starting to use Exodus language. You were slaves. As soon as you say the word slaves to the people of Israel, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we know. 400 years we were slaves. Right? You know, first of all, we were there and it was all good under Joseph, but then we became slaves and we had to get liberated out of slavery. So he's using language, going, now I want, to, I want to explain it again, out of your history and your redemptive history. And the story of Israel were they were slaves under Pharaoh in Egypt, and they were like, that was their position. And he's, he basically says, which would have been an outrageous thing for Jewish Christians to hear, he says, being in Egypt as a slave was like being under the law. Okay? You were basically in slavery under the law. And God brought through Moses a deliverer. In other words, he gets them out of Egypt, yeah, out into the desert. But the plan was never just to get them out of Egypt. The plan was always to get them into a promised land. Right? So he didn't just get them out of Egypt. I'm just going to get you out of slavery. Off you go. Go and do your own thing. No, 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 no. He's saying the idea was always to get them out of Egypt 
into a new land as a new people. And in the process, he establishes them as his people. I'm going to be your people. You're going to have my name. So he's going, I want to, tell, I want to explain to you what's happened to you as Christians out of the history of Israel. You were slaves. God sent Moses to get them out, but actually God sent Moses to get them in. Right? And it's in just the same way Paul is saying, Jesus has come to get you out, yes, but actually ultimately to get you in. Not good enough just to live in the, he got me out. Paul is saying, you're not simply a liberated slave. Right? You are now an adopted heir. That is a radically different position than simply a liberated slave. Now remember, Paul is writing to a bunch of people and a bunch of churches who have been totally had their brains like confused by Judaizers who have come and said, it's great that you got faith, but actually you're going to need to add some old Jewish customs in to really do this thing properly. For God to be really happy with you, for you to be truly accepted, there are some things you've got to add on top. Paul's answer to that, or one of his answers is, you need to understand who you are. You'd never go and do those things if you understood who you are. You're not simply a liberated slave. You are now an adopted heir. If you're an adopted heir, why would you ever go back? Because he says, going back under the law is like going back into Egypt. It's like going back under slavery, is what he's saying. If you're a child and an heir of the promise, why would you ever, ever go back into slavery? That's what he's trying to say. Why would you disregard your sonship to take up the role of a slave? So here's the thing, right? Sometimes we think of ourselves as liberated slaves, forgiven sinners. That's how we think of ourselves. And it's true. We have been forgiven and we were sinners. We were slaves to sin. The Bible that, that has happened to us, but that is not your identity, right? You're not a liberated sinner or a liberated slave. You are now an adopted heir. That's who you are, not that. And it's super important that we get it. Because one of the keys to living as a follower of Jesus with hope and expectation and confidence and peace is to understand, I'm not a liberated slave I am now an adopted heir. So over the last few weeks, I've read a couple of books. It's going to sound slightly sobering and morbid, but I've just found them very interesting and helpful and sad. But I've read a couple of books about survivors of the Holocaust and people who are in Auschwitz and all those kind of things. And I've read a, a, few, a couple of these books recently. And one of the things you notice, other than obviously it's horrendous, awful, awful mm. stories, is what happens for those who survive when they get liberated. Because it's one thing to get liberated from a camp and you're no longer a prisoner. It's another thing to be able to live a life of freedom post-liberation. Because you may be out of the camp, but the camp somehow is still in you, understandably. You carry the, the wounds and the scars and the pain of what's happened and all the loss. and all the. So to live a life now, 
you got out, you've, you're out, but you're not in. Right? Because of just because of all the pain and the challenge of moving on. And what is very possible for people in that awful scenario is very possible, I think, for Christians. You're out, but you're not in. And if you live in the middle ground and you have not fully understood that actually what Paul is saying, no, no, you understand, you're an heir now. If you don't understand that, then you're going to live here. Okay, I'm forgiven. Yeah, I'm forgiven. But liberated slaves always are worried about what they did. Always. We always keep looking back. We keep looking back. Oh, that's what I was like. And I'm worried I'm going to go back there. If I'm worried I'm going to go back there, what am I going to do to stop myself going back there? I'm going to put some rules in place. I, I, I'm going to construct for myself some religious rules to ensure that I don't go back to Egypt. Because I don't want to go back. So, but I keep feeling concerned that I'm going back because I'm a liberated slave. I, I know the tendency. I could just go back. I could just drift back into my old life. So I'm going to put some rules in place to stop myself from... Well, the, the problem is, is that you don't understand who you are. You're, that's not who you are. You're, you're here now. You're not just liberated. You're adopted. You're an heir. And in the culture Paul was writing into in the kind of Greco-Roman world, it, was, it happened... That particularly wealthy people who maybe didn't have their own son would adopt a slave to become their heir. So that happened in the culture. When, so when Paul is writing about this, he, he's writing about something that happened in their culture, that, that they would take slaves in their household, and because they had no bloodline, they'd go, this one is going to be my heir. As soon as that was done officially, they were no longer a slave, they were a son. And as a son, they were fully uh, entitled to all the legal and all the financial resources of the estate. A complete shift of position. I'm not just out, I'm in. Part of living, I believe, a life of hope and of faith and of confidence and of peace is understanding who you are. I'm not just a liberated sinner. I am an adopted air how do we know how do i know that that's true how do i know that i'm a how do i know that i actually really am there well he says it verse six of chapter four because god sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit who cries out abba father so you are no longer a slave you are a child and since you are his child you are an heir how do we know that we know because God's put his spirit in you and your spirit in you cries out, Abba, Father. Like something within you is going, I know I have a father. Mm-hmm. I, 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 it's just something in you, something has happened in you that tells you it's true. Right? How do you know? Because he's done something in you. What do heirs have? This is what we're going to close with. I think heirs have two particular qualities which are super important for us heirs have this first of all they have confidence if I was to tell you you have a, a long lost uncle and that long lost uncle is a billionaire and he's basically written his will and you are you are the one person who's going to receive everything and you're like Praise the Lord. It's not true, by the way. What he might do, I don't know. But I'm not actually delivering the news. But imagine Uncle Bob, 
who's a billionaire somewhere, has got all of this resource for you. And you're the ninth person in the world. You don't have it all yet, but it's all coming to you. What does that give you? Other than loads of money and a desire to meet Uncle Bob right now. But other than that, what does it give you? It gives you a huge sense of confidence. Because I'm, I'm in the family line. Yeah? Because, I mean, all the resources are stacked up for me, waiting for me. Right? I'm not going to be abandoned. I'm not going to be destitute. I'm not going to be hopeless because there's all this inheritance behind me. It gives you huge confidence. And Paul is going, I want you to be confident about who you are. <coughs> You're not a liberated slave left to your own devices. Go and work it out. Go and somehow make something of your life. Oh, that's not, no, he's going, no, no, way, it's way more than that. You're like the liberated slave who got adopted into the... Well, you are the liberated slave who got adopted as the heir. The promise given to Abraham is now given... was given of Jesus is now you are an heir of that promise. So it gives you huge confidence. But also, I would say this, it gives you a huge sense of peace. Because if you know you're an adopted heir, you, you don't strive to be accepted anymore. Right? So Sarah and I were away this week on holiday with two of our kids. So we paid for parking the car, hiring a car, you know, the house. We paid for the flights. We went out for dinner. We paid. Uh, at no point did our kids offer to pay for anything. Right? <laughs> at no point did Ben go, hey, Dad, can I give you the money for the plane flights? He offered me a lot of Did he? <coughs> okay. <laughs> okay. At no point did he offer me anything, okay? Twice. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. You're undermining my point, but thanks. <laughs> <coughs> Now, partly they offer to pay because they don't have the resources. And by the way, neither do you or me. But we think we can maybe somehow pay something back. But you don't have the resources either. But the main reason they don't offer to pay is because they're our kids. So they don't get up in the morning and go, thank you so much for letting me come on holiday. Is there anything I can do to pay you back? Can I, can I do all the cleaning? And I mean, it would be nice occasionally if they did do that. But there's no hint of a sense of earning their way back in. They don't, they, don't, they don't come on holiday and go, I can't believe I'm on a holiday with you again, Mum and Dad. Your goodness is so, can I please do the washing up? Some, some way of paying, please, can I? At no point, why? Because they're, they're in, and they know they're in. They are entirely at peace with the fact that they're our kids. And therefore, they feel in completely entitled maybe too entitled, but you know, <laughs> entirely entitled to the good of what we have as a family. So there's no sense of a, I need to pay you back. I can't believe I'm here. There's a, there's a gratitude, there's an appropriate gratitude. Thank you for bringing us on holiday. They did say that, which I loved. But there was not a hint of feeling, I need to pay my parents back. One day, I'm trusting there will be. No, I'm not really. But, <laughs> And there's not a desire in me for him to do it. I want them to enjoy being with us. Why is there no hint of this kind of like, I can't believe I'm here with you? Because they understand they're in. Yeah. Right? They're in. They are sons, heirs, 
family. God wants us to know he got us out to get us in. Right? You don't live here. You're not a liberated slave. You're an adopted heir. You're a son. And I understand we're sons and daughters. But obviously in that culture, if you're a son, you inherit everything. Okay? So all of us are in line to inherit everything. Male and female, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, you're all in line to inherit everything. been brought out <coughs> and you're in and knowing that makes all the difference in the world amen yeah. okay let's stand